Hi, I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Well, happy Sabbath to you. Uh, For those of you that are not aware and are only uh, thinking of the goat in biblical symbolism, (laughs) these days the goat, the greatest of all time, right? So that, that, that uh, jumps you deep into the uh, symbolism that was probably being referred to there, and thank you for it. Uh, thank you also to uh, the Appels and to others who were involved and to you, our church family. It is a delight, I'll just say it this way. It is a privilege and a delight to be your pastor, one of your pastors, and I'm so thankful for that. Today we continue our re-series. If you are familiar with this, you know what we're talking about. Some of you, it's possible you are dropping into the middle of a series and you're not sure our re-series. Well, it gives us the opportunity to, with one word, focus in a couple of different ways today, repair or repair. Repair. And uh, as we get started, there are some deacons that are here. Uh, We have been making use of, and I left mine in the pew back here, but we have little, uh, um, yes, our journals, we have deacons that are here. If by chance you got here and you don't, yeah, I see Riley, you've got yours right there, that's awesome. But if you got here and do not have one of these journals, they're completely empty inside, so you get to decide what's important. If you're a child, if you're older, doesn't matter. As the deacons wander through the aisles, just raise your hand. You might have one that you lost, you might have one you left home, we've got plenty of them. You could be a guest and you're only gonna be here one time, Still, take one. They're not filling. You'll love it. Uh, And again, if you're a child, you can have one to doodle in, to consider things in. I'm going to immediately give you two things that you might want to write in this journal. So I see hands along the way. And again, we've got plenty of them. Don't be bashful. As we continue our series with today's title, Repair. Repair. All right. So, Firstly, I'm going to give you a couple of journal questions. These are for you to take away, consider later. Maybe you journal, maybe you talk to God about things that uh, you've been thinking about in the worship service. Maybe you have a family worship. These would be perfect for these kinds of things. And this question, I consider every once in a while. Don't miss a hand. We got one way up over here. Yeah, good. Here we go. First one is, my three closest friends are. My three closest friends are... I've done this throughout my life, and uh, first thing I'd like to encourage you to do is exclude family members. That would be a completely different kind of category, probably, in terms of friendship. We would hope that you have a spouse, for instance, that's a friend. But other than that, expand past that. And in fact, if you want to go bonus round, if you have a friend who would make it on this list for 20 years or most of your life then make them in that other special category too. What are three closest friends in my interactions now that are over the last few years? And then there's this question or uh, idea. A task I've recently accomplished that took at least two people is. A task I've recently accomplished that took at least two people is. Any number of things could come to your mind. Uh, Just this last week, I received a package, and on the package, there was a little yellow sticker for the FedEx delivery guy who I believe violated this instruction. Takes two people to lift, was was the instruction on the package. I think I saw him hoist it onto his shoulder and make it out of the truck. It was a heavy package. What's a task you've recently accomplished that took at least two people? And then... Our younger set, 
older alike might be interested in four words, these four words that you can keep track of, how many times they get said. Here they go. Firstly, it's our title, Repair Pair, or Sand Ballot is another one. That's a person's name, uh, if you didn't realize that. Enemy, and then some derivative of the word pray. Pray, praise, prayer, prayers, prayer, prayed. Uh, Yeah, you got it. Uh, As we continue, though, now, I invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's a little verse couplet that you probably know well. You can check into it now and later. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 goes this way. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all, that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Who are we? Who is us? Paul is writing this, and he's talking about those who are uh, teaching, preaching, leading others to Christ. We are a jar of clay, but there is this treasure in who we are, and as we come, we have this treasure. And then this verse. But we are hard-pressed on every side. We're not crushed, though. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We, these jars of fragile clay, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. And so, no matter how you come here today, I believe God has a promise and a plan for you. You may have related well to that passage that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You might have had a week where you were hard-pressed. You might have even been a little persecuted. You could have had any number of things go on, difficult, struggle, and yet, and yet, God has a plan, God has a promise, God is here, and his call to us is to repair. So let's pray. Lord God, bless us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the opportunity we have to share together here, to spend time together in your word, and we pray a blessing on it through the presence of your Holy Spirit. We breathe, we breathe and are reminded that as we take this breath, as we invite you in, you say yes. Thank you, Lord God, and Jesus, we praise you, amen. All right, so uh, we've been in the book of Nehemiah most recently. For those of you that are guests, again, we've been kind of stretching through Ezra and Nehemiah with a little dose of Haggai and some Esther thrown in. This story with Nehemiah, though, the exiles who were uh, hauled off to Babylon have, some of them, have returned. And they've been trying to rebuild, but things haven't gone that well so that as a messenger comes back to Babylon, where Nehemiah is, the cupbearer of the King Artaxerxes, he hears how bad and desperate and difficult things are, and his heart is torn. He wishes for something different, and he prays for four months, and he is readying himself for a moment, for an opportunity, and it comes. The king asks what's wrong, and he shares what is what is on his heart, what is wrong, and before you know it, he has all the resources it will take that are allotted to him to go back and to lead the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And so he returns, he gets there, and before he starts casting vision, before he 
starts a compelling story about what should happen. He goes and he sees for himself. He walks the grounds at night. He doesn't tell anybody why he's there, what he's doing. And then finally, as we close that uh, second chapter of Nehemiah, he speaks up and he shares with the countrymen there, the Jews in Jerusalem, do you see the trouble we are having? Which by the way, what an amazing and important leadership example for those of us who would say we are followers of Jesus Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. That when you come upon some situation that's a problem, that when you are visiting among people who have issues, that you would say we rather than you. (laughs) Ah, let me tell you, don't you see the problem you have, the problem you are? No, no. Nehemiah says, do you see the problem we are in? And I've been praying, and God has promised, and God has given, and by the time that passage ends, they say, okay, the people rise up, okay, let us build. And so we dip into Nehemiah chapter three. Nehemiah three, if you're in it, anybody do a Bible reading plan? You ever do a Bible reading plan? You hit certain passages of scripture and it's kind of like you just hit a little bit of a wall. Nehemiah chapter three could be that sort of chapter because it's lists of people and gates that you've never heard of and some that you might have. Uh, But we're just gonna touch on a couple of things as we roll along here because there's a theme that I'd like to point out. So first verse of Nehemiah chapter three. Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gates. By the way, little tip, if you're a parent-to-be, if you are uh, expecting a child and you're looking for some of the names lesser used, you're in luck because we're gonna hit a few of them, Eliashib being the first of them. I don't believe I've ever been uh, uh, in a class with an Eliashib, but you know, it, it could happen. The second verse, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. Again, I think usable. The Jeshanah gate was repaired by Joiada, son of Paseah, and Meshalum, son of Basadia. If you say it fast enough, it sounds like you think you know how to pronounce the name. Next to them, repairs were made by the men from Gibeon and Mizpah, and the valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoah. There's a theme interwoven in these kind of uh, trippy little names and challenging locations that you probably have not heard much about as they're building the wall. A theme that emerges is that as they repair, they are doing so not as individuals, but in groups. And I wonder, I wonder if God's challenge to us today for all that he plans to do, much that has been destroyed, all the repair he calls us to, if it might be that a part, implicit part of that plan is in the word repair. Repair. I don't know how you've been living your spiritual journey most recently, But even if it is found almost entirely among your family, could it be God is calling you up and out and into groups, into a collective of people who are followers of Christ? For surely you recognize, and it's no big mystery, that when Jesus talks about his followers, he speaks of them as a body of believers. 
Unique pieces, unique parts, but not some dismembered pile, but a whole coming together and working together. And so we get into the fourth chapter of Nehemiah and he writes, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. You ever wish somebody do something about fill in the blank? There's some changes that need to be made. You know what you, know what you ought to do? Ah, <laughs> uh, we... Do you know what we ought to do? And there, a beautiful sentiment. For the people worked with all their heart, it could be translated this way as the New American Standard Bible does. For the people had a mind to work. Do you have a mind to work? Maybe. If we're honest, there have been certain days which we've showed up, what church is about is where I come to hear some good music. Boy, when the sound system's not working right, that just destroys everything. You know, I, I come to church because uh, I'm listening, listening to a, a sermon that I've, uh, okay, I'll, maybe depending on who's preaching. I come to worship if it's the right time. I come to worship if, ah, what about this? I come to worship because I've got a mind to work. That there's something God is up to. He is repairing something big and he has called me out and in to his body. And they built. Because the people had a mind to work. If we just stopped right here, dropped to our knees and this would be the single note of this service, it would be worth it. Lord God, give us a mind. To work. For don't you know, this God of ours who could speak through the rocks has chosen to strap his reputation to you and to do his repairing through me. Strange strategy. You know, as these folks get going, uh, we've seen little hints of it, but it's going to now flood on into the story. When we do anything, when they begin anything that's important and powerful and meaning and repairing and even halfway up, you know what's going to happen. The enemy is going to rise up. And we've seen it in the past. We're going to see it here. I just want to pause, though, and remind you, remind me that when Sanballat steps forward, when Tobiah sh shouts out, when these individuals seek to dent the good work of God, they are merely foot soldiers of our deep enemy. For as you know, the battle we are in is not a battle with flesh and blood. Be thoughtful, be careful. There may be somebody that speaks against you and they may, they may be somebody that you think as typifying who your enemy is, but there's something bigger going on in this big battle. And you and I are foot soldiers, as are they. There is a bigger argument that's happening. I'd like to just touch bases with you in this battle that is largely unseen. There are four favorite weapons of the enemy. 
four favorite weapons of the enemy. And uh, pardon me, because I did a little, there was a little, I, I meant to actually, <laughs> Amy, I meant to correct it between services and got so caught up in conversations, I forgot about it. But uh, I'm going to start with the second of, it's going to start with number two, and then there are going to be a couple of threes and then a four, but you'll have to follow me. You know, you're, you're taking notes, so you can sort it out as we go. But it's purposeful that we're actually jumping into the second because the first one I want to talk about last, the one I think is the most insidious weapon of our enemy, we'll talk about last. I think it gets numbered four. But anyway, here we go. Ready? Number two, lack of vision. Lack of vision. Sometimes we get going without vision and we just have this energy that is being deployed for no real great direction. And if, God, if God's vision isn't present in our lives, how do you get vision? I, I tell you, if you want to get vision, the way Nehemiah claimed vision was to start on his knees, talking to God repeatedly, pleading with God, thinking about what it was that God would have him do and to be, and then to surround yourself with other people to bounce that vision off of. And as we said, by the time we hit the beginning of the chapter four we are in right now, his vision has captivated the hearts and they are going in one direction. So murky, muddy, lack of vision, that's a favorite place to start, but we're going to jump immediately to the third one. This one is, in, in fact, the one I meant to be, number three, is insult and derision. Now, we will often hear an insult from a person and fail to actually calibrate that the insult is a part of a broader weaponry of the devil himself. And we may think if we could just get rid of that person, my troubles would be over. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Here we find it. Verse one of chapter four, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He was angry and greatly incensed. And so he ridiculed the Jews and the presence of, in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria. And he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? So belittlement, insult, discouragement, which by the way, he then says, can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? By the way, there were heaps of burned rubble. And this is part of the hook of our enemy is to include truth in the belittlement. And so the devil will speak to you of your past failings so as to cripple you from even trying. He will talk to you about the other person who once did or said something that you ought actually repair with, but now this is going to be, this is too much, I can't, not with them. There is often some measure of truth in the insult, some measure of truth in the derision. By the way, it doesn't require another person, does it? We will happily take on and speak in loops the insults of our enemy in our own head. That we'll put ourselves down 
and take us off the wall. I can't do it. I, I failed last time. Tried it once. Somebody laughed. I don't think I'm good enough. In fact, Tobiah steps in, the Amorite, or Ammonite, sorry, who was at his side. And he said, well, think about this. What they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. You know, what you, what you bring to the table is so puny and so small, it will never hold up, it will never stand up, it will never be worth it. And you know, there's something that rings true in all of that. Except that we are partnered with the king of the universe, the almighty God, the maker of all things, who has called us out, who has called us up, who has empowered us and who is on our side. And so don't you know, I think it's a fascinating response. What the people decide to do and Nehemiah leads out is read in the following verse, the fourth verse, hear us our God for we are despised. You know, they don't pretend, have you ever met somebody like this who pretends that nothing bad is happening? Who doesn't seem to get it that it's difficult or that others are pointing a finger and it doesn't feel like they're actually calculating, calibrating, understanding what it is that's really truly going on and so it just makes it feel like what they have to say is worthless or not relevant. It's not what they do. They admit we are despised. The, the, the enemy is coming against us. But I love that it's not said here, and so we created a prayer meeting. So we actually called a service. No, it is their, it is their knee-jerk reaction is to go straight to God. And as you hear the insults, whether they are out loud from outside or they are rehearsed on the inside, go to prayer. Speak to God about it. And as you do so, pray in the context, not only of a person who has had insults sent their way, but of someone who knows in the end God is calling you to work. So pray. Lord, I know it. And I hear it. And... There are some that are against me, that are against it. Well, maybe in fact it is that they are against you, O Lord God. Help me to hide myself in you. And help me have a mind that won't back away. Have a willingness that doesn't back down. And that grows hungry for your work. Oh. The fourth one, as you see clearly on the screen, is it transitions. Sooner or later, there's a transition from the insults, from just the words, to actual sabotage and violent attack. Check them out. You can number that one for violent attack. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. See, they were angry before. Now they're very angry. By the way, when people attempt to humiliate you, it may seem like it's just because they're right and they're having fun about being right, 
but half the time it's because of something that is threatening to them. And the kingdom of God threatens our invisible enemies. So keep this in mind. As you speak to him, as you talk to him, just know this, it will often get worse. That's not necessarily good news. By the way, as you read this, Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the men of Ashdod, if you go doing some research, historical research at the time, you have Jerusalem and these these countries, these are neighboring countries represented by leaders and they're named specifically that actually surround in a full circle the people of God in Jerusalem. North, south, east, west, they are surrounded by these individuals and it says they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. Whether it be with the sword, uh, they would have to be a little bit cagey about this because permission had been granted by the emperor to be doing this work. So they knew they were going to have to be a little subversive but try to tear it down along the way. So yes... You and I, sometimes we fall prey to this common Christian notion that if you are a follower of God, that's when everything starts going super well and there are no speed bumps. And I'm going to suggest to you that that is primarily true for when we are of no threat to the enemy. But as we actually follow Jesus Christ into the places he calls us. If we become paired together as a body, as we are making some repair of our, of the name of Jesus Christ in our community, it becomes a threat. And destruction, division, insult, hurled to discourage and actual thwarting, physically violent moves, to stop the work. Just understand this. True followers of Christ are not put off by the difficulty. It tends to affirm that something must be happening. So steal yourself. Again, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. I love it. It's the knee, it's the gut reaction. As soon as their trouble comes, rather than complaining, you don't hear the why God, but you hear a turning to God, our great God, the one in whom we do any of this work. Go to your knees, go in prayer, meet together in groups, pray over these difficulties, challenges. But don't miss the last half of this verse and they posted a guard day and night. There's some people who will say to you when things are difficult, just pray. But you find in scripture very regularly that it isn't just pray. That in fact, having the conversation with God is cornerstone and key, but so is acting in his name. That in fact, they post guards. They're not just saying, well, we're gonna just pray to you and then whatever happens, happens. No, we are able to post guards, so we're gonna do what we are able to do. I got to tell you that this last year has been a challenging leadership year in our church family because the comings and goings, Steve, of all the decisions we've had to make, trying to be safe, trying to be able to meet, trying not to just be isolated, and it means we've got ropes and pews at times, we have sometimes we've had health screenings and masks and distance and we've had moments when we were meeting outside and all of this 
I've heard some say you should, if you had faith, you would just pray. It's not what Nehemiah suggests. Nehemiah would say, oh, no, no, don't, don't neglect the prayer. Don't neglect the conversation with God. Just understand this, he's going to ask you to be wise. And we could get it wrong at times, but I can tell you that the leaders of this church have attempted every step of the way to find and figure out how we can combine the act of bathing our decisions in prayer with acting in ways that make some sense. We can get it wrong, but those are the two parts, the two halves, and he calls on you too. That person that you've learned is in deep difficulty, and so you've told them you will pray, and you pray, but you also ought to post some guards. And that guard might be you. It might mean my getting up, my leaving my house, my serving my community. For it is these two things, prayer and action, that the body of Christ engages deeply with, certainly in this story. And so we get, we move our way down to this last threat, this last weapon so often wielded against God's people especially if they're making any kind of progress. And it's a debilitating weapon if we're going to repair. Remember Nehemiah chapter three, we talked about it a little bit. As they went to one point in the wall, it was the priests and, and, and over here it was this person and their family members, all the people of Jericho in this grouping over here. This gives a hint, when progress starts being made, it is so often, in groups, do you find, I, I think it's fascinating when Jesus sends out people to do the work that he says, you'll know I will come back when the gospel is preached to the whole world. And you know how he sends people? In pairs, never alone. And I worry that we have and may be embracing our own personal culture of aloneness. The pandemic hasn't helped Sometimes our own personalities or discomfort with or having been hurt by or, or, or. But you remember even in Paul's words when he talks about being pressed on every side but not crushed. You remember the language? He says it this way, we, we are pressed on every side but not crushed. And I wonder if it is I am pressed on every side. How much easier it is to be crushed, how much easier it is to be in despair, abandoned, destroyed, and set to the side. But in fact, and this should be number one, you get it, (laughs) this first weapon, I believe dominant weapon of our enemy is isolation. Splitting you off from the body, keeping you separate from the body. We've talked about this time and time again, but I'm going to just remind you, I'm going to review with you just a couple of things. Isolation is doing a lot to harm us right now. And I just encourage you, if you're here and you're not regularly coming to participate in a body of believers, I want to challenge you, I want to call you. If you're watching on one of the cameras, you're reviewing or replaying it later and you have fallen away from a body of believers, it's time to come home. I wanna call you back. 
and it's dangerous. Just think of the physical risks. Some of the, some of the data, the studies that show that there are incredible health risks of being alone and socially isolated. For instance, social isolation significantly increases a person's risk of premature death from all causes. <laughs> a risk that may rival those of smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. Social isolation is, is associated with about 50% increased risk of dementia. Poor social relationships are associated with about 29% increased risk of heart disease, 32% increased risk of stroke. And some of you in the room are going, yeah, boy, that's terrible. I hope my grandparents are listening. Because you're young and you're healthy. Do you know that loneliness was associated with much higher rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. And if we know anything about our 20-year-olds today and younger, it is that they are suffering under an unbearable load of depression. And I believe it's the attack of the enemy. Oh, if he can discourage you, dissuade you, cause you to give up, give in, and not participate in the body of Christ, he gains much. You, he doesn't so much care about. You, if we talk about it, we could just go on and on, but if we want to talk about it on the positive side, you, you know that there's such a thing as blue zones. You've heard of blue zones, right? Blue zones are these territories, where, uniquely so, where over a long period of time, groups of individuals that have clustered together have actually experienced extreme or much higher than normal length of life. Blue zones. One of those blue zones that we've heard about that's been written about is in Loma Linda, California, and Seventh-day Adventists specifically in that community. In his book, Blue Zones, We'll just take a look at six items that we notice about those who are thriving in these blue zones, and they are these. First, they have less, and, and by the way, the blue zones, they, they're, they're all over the world, a handful of different ones in different cultures and so forth, but here are the commonalities between the individuals in these blue zones that are healthier and live longer. Number one, there's a, less, a smaller incidence of smoking. Number two, they, they enjoy a plant-rich diet. Some of you are going, oh yeah, yeah, I recognize this. Consistent, modern, physical activity. Consumption of legumes. If you're not sure what that is, look it up. Somebody will tell you. And then the last two, a full third of the list. Family engagement and social interaction. If you want to be healthy... If you want to help be healthy, find community. As we come to our close today, I, I, I've stumbled upon this website, non-Christian, non, uh, you know, certainly non-Adventist, not, not actually thinking at all about a follower of Christ, not from that perspective at all, but they were analyzing this subject of isolation and its deep impact on who we are and how we live, and it was talking about all the deficits and the problems, and then suggested some things. Here's how you could fight it. Here, if you wanted to fight the isolation, here's what you do. So get a load of it. Check this out. How to. This from a secular website. How to. Number one, volunteer. 
Yeah, yeah, you'll, you'll understand there are reasons why I chose to show you this because in every case, could there be a better place to do this than God's people? Volunteer. A study shows that volunteers, because of the social engagement, they, they live happier lives, but there's a, second, there's a second element because if you analyze the health of the volunteer, the person who helped somebody else and the person that they helped, actually the greater benefit is to the person physically, to the person who does the helping. You may be hurting yourself right now by only coming to witness what happens in worship. Big health move. Step up. Sign on. It might, you know, that's, be, be a deacon, be a greeter, be in, involved in the children's Sabbath schools. And show up to a, an event that's helping out the people in, in the community and you might not, you, where would I go? What would I do? How would I even get started? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm going to give you this fairly memorable uh, email address, church at southern.edu, and all you have to do, you just type in a few words. Try, try typing this. I want to volunteer. Four words. I want to volunteer. Click. Send. We'll help you figure it out. Maybe that's too bold. You're not sure you want to volunteer. Well, then five words. Tell me more about volunteering. I, just, I don't even, I'm not so sure. I just, I'm just kind of curious. Is there something going on? I'm going to suggest to you that that act of pairing up repairs not only the walls of the community outside yourself, but it repairs something deep inside you. You want to know the second one? Here's how they put it, meetups. They describe meetups would be scheduled times where groups of people would come together to meet up. You'd count on there to be a group together somehow. Not just you at home, not just you on social media, but a meetup. Huh. <laughs> I just want to say, if you have found yourself developing a habit of not meeting up, but rather watching up. Maybe it's time. I won't judge you if it is still time for you to stay home, but I will challenge you, isolation kills. And to be together in the body of Christ is a big deal. And then this final one, uh, they, they call it dinner parties. Dinner parties. By the way, uh, a little later, I'll be going to a dinner party. It's not really called that. It's a picnic on Pearson Drive. The McClaffertys have called a Pearson Drive picnic for today, and they picked a day where the temperature's 52. And right now, I want to think that, uh, in fact, there is, a, uh, there is a casserole that is cooking in my stove. My wife is away at a pastor's wives and spouses retreat and so I have less than full confidence because I'm the one who set the timers we'll see what happens something could be on fire for all I know right now uh, but not just meet up to gather not just to meet together in a large group like this but to come together in smaller groups where you can be known and people can know you. That's the idea of sitting around a table together and telling your stories. You don't get to tell your story right here. I didn't get to hear your story. I hear your voice. 
and I bathe in the worship and I have the meetup, but maybe there's something more. I wanna suggest to you that you owe it to yourself and you're gonna hear me talk about this more and more through the coming days. You owe it to yourself to get involved in a small group that comes together. What better place than through our church? Now, right now, if you would like to, you can scan that. You can end up asking, hey, can I be involved in a small group? Uh, I'd like to start one. Is there one going on that I could just join in? In fact, these deeper dive small groups, they're based on a sermon series, a sermon reaction. So, in fact, uh, all the sermons have notes to them that a small group could just pick up and discuss together. The work's been done for you. You don't have to read another book. You just come here and we'll be in the book. And then you go and you meet as a small group. I just want to suggest to you, as the book of Ecclesiastes puts it so succinctly, this message, two are better than one. In fact, as the writer gets into that particular passage, he will say it this way. I was looking out one day and I saw something that was so ridiculous it was more foolish than anything I've ever seen anywhere the sun shines. What is that? I saw a man, I saw a woman, all alone. I know you can be in this room and be alone. It's time for you to reach out. It's time for us to repair. There is much God wants to build in you. So we're going to sing a song. We'll have a prayer. And we'll go our own way. Ah, no, 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 no. Not the body of Christ, no. We go together. So let this not be a one day a week, one hour a day kind of thing. But God's call on your heart your life to be his body. So our Father, we come to you and praise your name for this Jesus. That as we go from here today, we do so under the blood of the Lamb. Lord God, there's, there's a lot going on in our lives and in our communities and it's really easy to feel alone and to be separated. So we pray for the, the grace of Jesus, for the spirit of God on us, that we would be a family with one another, that we would be a place worth calling others to. That we might not live in isolation, but that we might repair our families, our faith, our community in you. And so go with us in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.